Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeBone, and this is a happy, hippie place for talking all things magic, witches and fiction, and creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 424 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the kooky creatrix behind KKS Witch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode, back on Blog Talk Radio. And the show's a little bit uh, hit or miss right now in terms of whether you get a new show every week or not. You definitely do on Patreon. I have, I've had to prioritize Patreon to get some other things done in my life, and I show up there every weekend with new content. I try to show up here as well every week with new content, but I've missed a couple in October because I am doing NaNoWriteMo in November, which is National Novel Writing Month, if you don't know. And I really am giving this a a real... A real, I'm giving myself a real opportunity to succeed with this. I am so close to finishing my novel, and I just think that NaNoWriteMo is the perfect challenge to really buckle down and get it done, but I've had to make some sacrifices here, there, and everywhere to make space for that. And so in October, I've been doing something called Prep. October. <laughs> There's a whole universe that happens around NaNoWriteMo. There's Camp Nano in the spring and Camp Nano in the summer now too. And there's, I, I love it all. But in November, I'm not exactly sure how that's going to play out here. I think what's going to happen is I probably won't be including music at the end of the podcast. There is no music at the end of this episode. Because it takes time to find music I like and reach out to the people. Only, you know, a small percentage of the people I write reach out to actually write back to me and say, yes, you you can use my music. So there's that. And so just temporarily, I'm not going to be doing that probably for November. I don't think unless I just find extra little pockets of time that I'll be doing the videos. I've been doing something called Hippie Witch Quick Clips over on YouTube where I just take my favorite couple of minutes from each episode and I put it to a little vlog footage. I really enjoy doing that. But again, sacrifice. That's that's the theme of this episode. I'm going to be talking about sacrifice. And so in addition to that, I also may be kind of, maybe I might not show up here certain weeks. It really just depends on how busy I am and how many coaching calls I have that week and whatnot. So I do have a couple of interviews already recorded for you. So I know there will be at least two, no, there will be three episodes in November. So you won't be missing much, that's for sure. And then you can always join us on Patreon if you want more. <laughs> because I do show up there, like I said, every weekend. And I want to thank the amazing people supporting the podcast over on Patreon, especially new patrons. I want to give a shout out to the new patrons, Dylan Thomas, Brandy Van Nebel, 
Jen Delo, Denise Dusloff, and Mushroom Mama Kinsley Patterson. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me over there. I hope you're loving all the content. Don't forget to hook up with us over on Discord so you can join the 24-7 live chats that are going on over there. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Uh, we just talked about... NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, in October. And then in November, it's going to be all about... Is this fun? I don't know. Some of us like shadow work. It's going to be all about the mother wound. We're focusing on the mother wound. And then as an extension of that, we'll probably get into talking about wound mates. Because the wound, the wounds that we receive when we're children from our parents often have everything to do with the kind of wound mate relationships that we get into as adults. So that's what we'll be talking about there. I am very excited about it. I wanted to do something unique for November that had a shadow work flavor, but that was kind of fresh and new for our crowd. And we've we've made mention of the mother moon, mother moon, <laughs> the mother wound over there quite a few times already this year. And I keep saying it's coming, it's coming. We're going to talk about it. And now, finally, it is here. It is time. It is time. It is also time for Halloween. Yay! This will be going up Halloween Eve. So happy, happy Halloween. Happy Samhain, everybody. I had a couple of just funny random things that I've been dying to tell somebody so I'm gonna tell you right now <laughs> they have to do with kids and and the darkness of children and I thought well I could maybe mention it on Halloween so the kid and I watch America's Funniest Video every Sunday he insists I actually enjoy it too I've actually talked about it here <laughs> you know here and there I mention it sometimes because we do we watch it every single week and a couple of weeks ago <laughs> this is just a random share because it makes me laugh I think it's funny and so relatable there was this little boy who was crying he like came running to get his mom he clearly had been like in the back of the house with a gang of kids you know like when your parents have company and all the kids go in the back room and hang out and it seemed that the kids had been talking about how you know when you grow up and when you're older when you're like 16 you'll be left alone like you won't have to have the parents there with you but he interpreted this in such a way that he ran crying to his mom like mom one day I'm gonna be 16 and I'm gonna be all alone I'm gonna be alone and the mom's like what are you talking about no you're not and he's like I am I'm just gonna be older and older and older and older and then I'm not gonna see my mom and dad anymore I'm gonna be all alone and the mom like turns, the other little kids have run out behind him, like concerned. I think maybe they think, oh crap, we're in trouble. What did we say? And so she turns to a little girl next to him and she's like, tell him that's not true. It's not true. And the little girl <laughs> turns to the boy that's upset and says, it's not true. When your mom and dad die, then you'll be alone. <laughs> kids are so funny and then shortly thereafter on twitter i saw this tweet from someone named meredith ireland meredith ireland tweeted adults worried their kid lit will be too dark kid lit as in books for children adults worried their kid lit will be too dark 
my six-year-old, so she's sharing what her six-year-old just told her. <laughs> Will you be buried or burned if you die? I hope buried so that I can dig you up and see you again. And then the mom, Meredith Ireland, goes on to say, my point being, no, it's not too dark. <laughs> Little kids are so naturally dark. I used to think about death all the time, mainly because I was raised in a church that was constantly warning me about burning in hell forever when I die. <laughs> and I actually, I wasn't so worried about myself dying and going to hell. I was more worried about, and had questions. I would question my mom about this all the time, and I'm sure it annoyed her. <laughs> I would be like, but what about somebody that was born in the jungle and never heard about Jesus Christ. Will they burn in hell forever? What about babies? When babies die, if they don't become Christians before they die, will they burn in hell forever? And then, of course, the answer is no, of course not. And then me being me, I'm like, but what about original sin? Aren't we born into sin? Doesn't that mean babies need to be saved? <laughs> so, children, children and death. No wonder kids love Halloween so much. They get to dress up as little dead people <laughs> and go trick-or-treating and ask for candy in exchange for dressing up for a little, like little, little, little dead people. <laughs> and maybe this is all on my mind because I am literally writing about human sacrifice right now in a fictional sense in in the book that I say I'm almost I'm getting there I'm getting very close to the end and why I'm doing NaNoWriteMo I was just writing about human sacrifice and the sacrifices in addition to that the sacrifices mothers make for their kids or in, in the case of bad parents, as in the case of my books, the sacrifices mothers enforce on their children. And many a childhood has been sacrificed for the sake of a cruel or self-absorbed parent's so-called so -called needs. And it's interesting when I did some digging around because I knew I wanted to talk about sacrifice for me, the first thing that comes up is religion when I think about sacrifice. And it's weirdly built right into our, as Americans, our unofficial but not <laughs> nationally sanctioned religion of Christianity. Because the if I think of one Bible verse that's like the motto for modern day Christianity, it is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. So he sacrificed his, his only begotten son. So you sinners won't burn in hell forever. <laughs> he made the hard choice. And that is what sacrifice is all about. And it's funny too, how humans we cannot escape our humanness. Like themes of sacrifice show up in our mythology all around the world throughout time. And then like modern day Christians <laughs> or modern day just people in general will look back on other 
cultures that performed what we think. I don't know how we for sure know this, although I guess I guess the the skeletons are evidence uh, that certain cultures performed human sacrifice and we have that old like folkloric cliche of sacrificing the virgin and things like that but it's funny to look at them and call them savages and then look at our main religion and we have sacrifice at the very heart of it sacrificing the lamb sacrificing you know the son of god and even in the bible it was you know god's going to sacrifice his only begotten son his precious jesus christ so you pagans you heathens will stop with the animal sacrifices and i i would assume that those pagans were actually eating those animals that they were sacrificing and that really brings my mind right back around to this idea of communion and Christians symbolically eating the body of Christ. <laughs> it's, we are we are a dark creature as humans. Death is so baked in to who we are. It's just inescapable. No matter how clean you think you are of it, you cannot escape it. It's just death is a fact of life. We are part of this life-death-life cycle. And the themes of sacrifice that are woven throughout our mythology and cultures, religions, they're vital because time is limited. I'm not going to go off on a Saturn rant here, but this is very Saturnian to me, father time. We are each granted just a limited amount of time. And therefore, sacrifice is innate in creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. Because you have to sacrifice one thing for another to get what you want. And that's what I wanted to talk about. I mentioned this in the last newsletter. So before I just go off rambling off the top of my mind, like I've already been doing here quite a bit. <laughs> I have cut and pasted my last newsletter so if you already got that, here it is again, but this is the audio version because I actually, I like what I said and I think it probably makes a better point than I do when I'm just sort of rambling and ranting and raving, which I will certainly do more of as soon as I read this. So <laughs> in that newsletter, I was talking about how Samhain, the winter transition, Halloween, this is a time of year where us witchy people like to do a concentration of shadow work. And then this is what I said. Fear is the veil we must pass through to get to the other side. And what's on the other side? More grace and understanding, hopefully. One of the ways that fear shows up for me and every one of my coaching clients who insists on trying to do all the things is as the fear of sacrifice. I have come to believe this fear is compounded by living in the Western world, a world of outrageous privilege, multi-passionate entrepreneurs, and slogans like, if you can dream it, you can be it. Don't get me wrong, I love slogans like that, but some of us have misinterpreted that to mean that we can do anything and everything we want all at once when the cold, hard facts of time say we cannot. 
People who are living the kick-ass life of their dreams know sacrifice. They know that if they want to get straight A's in school, they'll have to sacrifice some leisure time to study. They are willing to give up their daily swing through the Starbucks drive-through in order to save to buy that car. They admit to themselves that investing more energy in building a successful biz will involve cutting back on the other projects they've got going on. Sacrifice is about making cuts where it hurts. It's the act of giving up something you want for something you want more. And the reason that I want to talk about this today is because I am all about the manifestation. The psycho-spiritual wheel of the year that I designed is a bit like a solar year like a the you know when people work with the phases of the moon as a manifestation process the wheel of the year I created is like working with the phases of the sun for an entire solar year as a manifestation process so to me the shadow work that we do is very much about releasing the junk that we have accumulated and getting right with ourselves so we feel fresh to start a new year. I am not one of these witches who celebrates Halloween as the witch's new year, but I still celebrate Samhain and honor that as an opportunity. I see Samhain as kicking off this winter transition, this period of winter transition. FYI, if you're interested in doing the winter transition module of the Psycho Spiritual of the Year, there will be a link to that in the show notes. It's 50% off right now. With the code so mode it be, all space, no spaces, all lowercase, and you can just follow the link if you want to do some gentle, playful shadow work. But this, what I'm talking about here today, sacrifice is just sort of its own standalone thing. Because, like I said, I've been thinking about sacrifice in my life a lot lately. You know, I just recently cut back on my coaching practice and I created something called the dream team there's right now there's one spot open on the dream team if anybody wants to grab that but basically I made space on Patreon to work with 10 people in a coaching capacity and each of those people gets one coaching call and then we do a group mastermind once a month and that was a financial sacrifice and sacrificing something that I really enjoy for something that I want even more, and that is to start my career as a published author of witchy fiction. That was the first big cut that I made, the first big sacrifice. And then I mentioned some of the ones that I, I've been doing here in preparation for NaNoWriteMo. I've made other little sacrifices. I won't bore you with my own little, like, I cut this back and I cut this back because I have. I've moved a bunch of things around because this is really important to me and I've been thinking so much about sacrifice and really shining a light on that particular shadow and looking at the ways that I sacrifice what I want most for the things that I want right now. So I think... I think sacrifice is a theme that we all can probably work on, you know, and this is a good time of year to do it. And you are probably already giving up something that you want for something that you want more. And, or it may be the other way around or both, but if it's the other way around, you're giving up something that you want 
badly, something that you fantasize about and dream about for something that you just want right now, something that's within your comfort zone, something that's easy or distracting. And two quotes come to mind when I think about this. And one, I say it often, it's a Jim Rohn quote, I believe. I hope I'm attributing it to the right person. I've said it so many times, I can't even remember where it originated. (laughs) But it's results don't lie. Results don't lie. And then I think this other one is from an interview I did with Carolyn Elliott. She said, having is evidence of wanting. So results don't lie and having is evidence of wanting. That is super intense. When you think about it, results don't lie. The results of your life show you who you are. They show you what you're sacrificing. They show you the results that you're making on a consistent basis. And having is evidence of wanting. Look around. What do you have? That will show you what you want on a subconscious level. Perhaps what you want truly is comfort when you keep telling everyone and yourself that what you want is to be this badass entrepreneur or something like that. It's those, this idea of exploring sacrifice and those quotes to me, they really just call us out on our shit and it's really intense and it can be harsh because in some instances, it's not fair You know, um, having cancer is not evidence of wanting cancer. Being born into poverty is not evidence of wanting poverty. Like sometimes we can be victims of circumstance. And I don't want to be one of these new agey people who blame the victim, you know, by talking about the law of attraction and things like that. I do believe that. We can create our own reality to an extent, but I also believe in this mysterious X factor. Some people call it God. Some people call it fate. Whatever you want to call it. I don't think that we have 100% control over everything that happens. I'm just a fan of working with what you've got. And today, I just want to look at this from a place of privilege, which if you're listening to this show right now, If you have access to the kind of technology that would let you listen to a podcast like this, you are privileged. If you have clean drinking water and a roof over your head, despite how unfortunate your life may seem, you are in the 10% of the world's most privileged. And that's something you can work with. You can take what is the what isness of your life and make the most of it. Even if you get something like a scary cancer diagnosis, that might be an opportunity to heal, right? You can't change that it's happened, but what are you going to do with it now that it has happened, now that fate has put that in your hands? That poverty can be an invitation to fight for your right to rise above your so-called station, and then in doing so, inspire others to do the same. Like diversity... Diversity can be overcome. It can be. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but, and and I don't think that it's not fair. It's not fair because some people are facing diversity at a different level than others. It's a huge spectrum. And, uh, but, but does it serve you to obsess on the not fairness of it? Or does it serve you to just get busy and be like, this is what it is. And now I'm going to kick some ass. <laughs> so, so today, I, I really just want to speak more to 
Western world privileges, that's the, the Western world privileges that so many of us have just grown numb to. Like we are marinating in an embarrassment of riches. You know, we have free Wi-Fi in our public libraries, free drinking water and workout equipment in the park, more free information and entertainment and opportunities to network online than you can shake a stick at. And in, in, in some ways, privilege has become a prison of our own making. It's supposed to be the ultimate freedom, but then it just becomes this weird, invisible prison because with all the many choices we have to automate tasks that we used to have to do manually and, you know, the freedom or the time that that frees up and then, you know, all the countless ways that we have to distract and entertain ourselves, our comfort zones have become like quicksand. It's like endless entertainment has become our golden handcuffs. How many metaphors have I said now here? It ain't good, people, okay? Quicksand, prison, handcuffs, you know what I mean. (laughs) How many favorite shows do you have? How many favorite games do you play? What's your favorite social media platform? Have Have you ever calculated, I know we already did this earlier this year, but have you ever calculated the time you spend hanging out online in a day, a week, or a year? Is that time that you spend doing that enough to get some kind of side hustle going or to start your own business? If you cut that, you know, internet, just hanging on the internet time, playing games, watching videos, talking to people on social media, if you cut that time in half, if you sacrificed half of that time, would it be enough to get into the best shape of your life, to read more to your kids, to spend more time with your husband or wife or those friends you have been slowly falling out of touch with because they're doing the same damn thing? (laughs) Sacrifice. Sacrifice is the price you pay for choosing. I wrote that down on a legal pad one day and I don't know if that came out of my own brain or if I heard it somewhere and wrote it down but I like it sacrifice is the price you pay for choosing and you are choosing to sacrifice one thing for another all the time and then also on that exact same piece of paper I wrote a quote by a guy I do not know somebody named Chris Ross I literally cannot remember if I was watching a video or listening to a podcast or you know, cruising for quotes like I sometimes do, but I do have him attributed here. And I do love this quote. He said, if you don't sacrifice for what you want, what you want will become the sacrifice. Oh my God. If you don't sacrifice for what you want, what you want will become the sacrifice. I'm going to try really hard not to ramble too much here because I could ramble on about this forever. But I do have some interesting, maybe not so obvious ways to think about sacrifice, like rattling around in my brain here. So I'll just sort of throw them at you and hope that, you know, I would love, I would love for you to actually take this and riff on it on your own. You know, this idea of sacrifice. What does sacrifice mean to you? 
I think the word sacrifice is right up there with discipline and responsibility as like the least sexiest, unappealing words ever, ever, ever. And they're so important. (laughs) Those are words that I have had to learn to make friends with in order to move forward in, in my life. So when I think about sacrifice, I think about sacrificing the quest for perfection in exchange for making progress. Uh, short-term, sacrificing short-term pleasure for long-term gain. Sacrificing an employee or friend that you like, but who is problematic for the good of the whole. That can be a really tough one. All of these can be tough, depending on the situation that you're in. Sacrificing your sense of control to have access to more resources, sacrificing social media for living the dream, or sacrificing living the dream to hang out on social media. What? (laughs) Sacrificing what you have for what you want. And then bringing it back around to that awesome quote, sacrifice, you know, sacrifice works both ways. If you don't sacrifice for what you want, What you want will become the sacrifice. How often have you sacrificed your dream for a quick hit of instant gratification? Wow, that was hard for me to say for some reason. A quick hit of instant gratification. Sacrificing just a little piece of your own soul. Just one little piece at a time, one little piece at a time, one little piece at a time until you've sacrificed like a chunk of your own soul in order to appease the will of the ego or the fear-based drives of your lizard brain. And again, like I said, Halloween, Samhain, it's a time when so many of us dive into the shadows and exploring the power of sacrifice as it's already showing up in your life is one way to shine a light on what you might not otherwise see. And then I think, I haven't given this too much thought, but maybe you would like to. I'll mention it because it did cross my mind. I think there's a way probably to to perform some kind of ritual gesture to mark the sacrifice that you are now willing to make now that you've been thinking about this and you're like, yes, I do want to sacrifice this for that. And, and to really give yourself a chance to feel the weight of that deliberate shift. So I don't know what that would look like. Maybe donating your precious video game console to some kids in need. <laughs> Removing Instagram from your phone. Or just getting really witchy with it and burning a symbol of your favorite distraction or indulgence like tying up your favorite stranger things funko pop (laughs) to the fire like they do in the movies lighting him on fire don't light your funko pops on fire it's just too sad it's too sad (laughs) but maybe that's the point maybe maybe it to make a real sacrifice for what you want maybe you just want to have that ritual so that you actually feel what you're doing and you feel like ooh this hurts because really connecting with that really connecting to this hurts and I'm actually willing to do it I think I'm going to do this thing 
I think is a way to really get some momentum going and a fuel, like to, to get a fire under your ass to move. Like, oh, I did not give that up for nothing. No, I am actually going to make this happen. It's just a chance to ritualize taking yourself seriously, taking your own dreams seriously. And you know, I'm all about that. I also, I haven't told you that there's an interview as part of this podcast, but there is. So I'm just going to roll right into that right now. I hope you liked this little bite-sized chat about sacrifice. I would love any thoughts, you know, any thoughts you have about this idea of sacrifice, particularly as it pertains to this time of year or shadow work. Let me know. I'm all about it. But I also have a little interview, a patron of the month interview. We've been doing this once a month, and this one is semi-anonymous. Her name really is Lisa, but we decided not to share her last name because she is an attorney, and so we just decided to protect her privacy that way. But she's super interesting, way talkative and deep and fun. I think you're going to love this. There's a little bit of talk of sacrifice in it, too, built into a Game of Thrones spoiler. And I think somehow this also ties into the mother wound. It just all kind of worked out that way. That wasn't my intention when I asked her onto the show, but that's just how it worked out. And it feels kind of perfect. So without any further ado, here is the patron of the month, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Hi, Joanna. My dreams are coming true. <laughs> I'm so, mine are too, because I just sort of like sprung this on you. We were in the middle of a conversation and I was mm -hmm. like, oh my God, I wish I was recording this. Will you come on my podcast? And then I didn't hear, you're like, sure, totally, I will. And then I didn't yeah. hear from you for a couple of weeks. Oh, like, gosh. I think I, I got, got too excited and I freaked her out. <laughs> no, no. I was um, really, really busy with work. So um, so the rest of the listeners know I'm an attorney and I work at a public interest firm. So sometimes, well, quite oftentimes, I'll get stuff strung on me last minute. Um, and it sort of takes away from me being able to engage in the other social or self-care stuff that I really like to do. And then I had to travel. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Yeah, but I, life gets in the way of things that you really want to do sometimes. And so you just got to roll with the punches, I think. Especially <laughs> when you're an attorney, which I did yeah. not know at first and definitely got a rise out of me. I just love people with grown-up jobs who are witchy. I think it's so <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. And it's this funny thing where I have little like witchy elements around my office. So I'm I have like... It's very funny. I have like a Wonder Woman and um, Khaleesi, like two little Funko Pops in my office to remind me of like being super feminist and in charge and these women I really look up to. And there's like some witchiness in that and putting things around you to try and feed positive energy your way. I didn't know that a lawyer could have a Funko Pop in her office. When you're a legal services lawyer, you can. <laughs> that is awesome. I think it's also very cool because it's a pop culture thing. So it can be witchy to you. And then to someone else, it can just be like, oh my God, I love Game of Thrones. Exactly. Exactly. So for some people, like, oh, that's a great TV show. For me, there's a little bit more meaning there. You know, I know you talk about like having the pop pantheon. I definitely put Tar Daenerys Targaryen in there as like one of the you know, head bitch in charge that I like, <laughs> like oh, wow. to try and resonate with. <laughs> Let's do like a giant spoiler 
so people can plug their ear. If you haven't watched Game of Thrones and you're worried about spoilers at this point, I don't know what to do with you, but I would like to know what Lisa thinks about how Khaleesi ended. Yeah, plug your ears, folks. So I think, you know, I, I'm... I tend to be really interested in psychology and sort of the breakdown of minds and that kind of stuff. And I, that's one of the reasons that draws me to your podcast as sort of a psychology bent, you know, that deals with spirituality and self-help. I think it maybe was a lazy choice by the writers, but it is a logical choice based off of Daenerys Targaryen's past, you know, and who her parents were and their history of, of, you know, mental health issues. And I think it was a sad way to see it go down because she really sort of embodied what so many women, and I think men too, look for in, in, in powerful characters and figures is that she overcame this adversity, but she was still trying to fill her destiny. And I think all of us, or many of us have these feelings like there are things that I need to do and one wonders, especially with like Daenerys Targaryen, what kind of leader she would have been had she not been abused as a child. If you're looking at it from a real human perspective and not just from Hollywood, it's a sad story, but I think there's some realism to that that makes it really uncomfortable, right? Yeah. That people you can look up to can be unwell and can do really terrible things. And at what point do you need to not have them in your life? And so I would have preferred a different ending, but I think... There's something devastating about the truth that that could have happened. You know, like if this were a real world scenario, like that doesn't seem outside the realm of possibility. Does it, so. Is it just me or did it have a little of mice and men kind of flavor too? Yeah, I haven't read that book in so long. Oh, well, just, <laughs> you know, he loving, oh, I don't want to give that away either. Okay. Yeah, just, it, yeah there are a about... lot of allegories to... Um, so many other like historical and literary concepts, like the idea of uh, love not being able to prevail over madness. It's a tough um, one. This is why I wanted to have you on the show. And now <laughs> I'm now that we've gone down this strange alley, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I want to talk about sacrifice on the other mm -hmm. part of this episode. And I'm mm -hmm. thinking, like, yeah, he, Jon Snow, sacrificed. Did. Yeah. Her his, and he loved her for the greater good. Yeah, and he sacrificed his future too, right? Because they could have ruled arm in arm. You know, like no one had to know of their sort of familial relationship. Like when he made that decision, he chose that was his choice not to love her. And I think it's probably difficult, like even now, given the taboo, you know, like it certainly was a taboo type relationship and definitely in watching it, you feel kind of icky. Right. And so one can understand why Jon Snow would feel icky about that too, but he, he did choose. There are ways he could have gone about that where he also could lead, but I think ultimately he didn't actually want to be a leader. So he was making the choice for both of them in that moment. Mm -hmm. He didn't really give her much of a choice. You mentioned her childhood too, and that's really actually what we were mm -hmm. in the midst of talking about. Yeah. Where I was like, please come on my show. Yeah, there's there's so much, so many people, and and you know, I work with folks who deal with childhood trauma and how that shows up. You know, as an adult, you know, when you're growing up and how it frames your point of view about the world and yourself and your interactions, and you know, everyone's like, oh, self love. What is that? What's that all about? That sounds really gushy and sticky to me. Like, I don't know that I like the idea of talking myself up, but, but if you, if you can't care about yourself, you know, you can't really expect others to be able to care about you either because people treat you based off the energy that you put out. Right. So if you're walking around the world, like I'm worthless, I'm worth less than dirt. No one's going to treat you as if you have value. 
because you're telling them that you don't. So if you're worried about, you, you don't like the interactions you have with the world or your understanding, if, if you're just going off of based on how you feel and how you treat yourself, I think you can, people doing some deep digging can see some parallels. You know, it's almost like a mirror you know, what you put out there, it bounces back to you in many instances. Now, of course, some things happen that are outside of your control that have nothing to do with that. And we should accept that as reality. But, you, you know, for the most part, if you walk in a room and you're like, I'm really confident, I'm going to exude confidence. Other people are going to treat you with more respect because you're confident. Some people may be intimidated by it, but that's okay. That's their problem. Yeah. You know, and that really reflects your journey too, because I know mm-hmm. your childhood, I would love if you can share that, but I don't want to push you too hard. No, but that's like fine. what yeah. happened to you at eight years old has been so formative for your entire mm-hmm. life. And yeah. then it's really interesting talking to you because you really don't do the victim thing. And you found a way to navigate around that, to be able to make connections Mm -hmm. right off the bat. So I'm going to leave it up to you to say how much about that you want to, but it's super interesting. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I think there are a lot of women who, and men too, who, um, are overweight or have some issues with their body, whether, and it could be maybe they're, they were very thin, um, maybe they were just average and they weren't extraordinary, right? Not all of us can be like Calvin Klein models. Um, in fact, most of us aren't. The pressure from society, I think really weighs heavy on our parents as well. So when I was a child, I I was overweight and it's related to some health conditions that I wasn't diagnosed with until I was in my teen years. Um, But my parents didn't know that. And so at eight years old, you know, they got the advice from a pediatrician to enroll me in Weight Watchers. And it is something that I've had to really deal with the consequences of since because so many studies now show that when children are overweight, they will naturally grow out of that unless there's a medical condition, if they're taught how to eat healthy, but not in a way that sort of devastates their sense of self-worth. It's really tough being a little kid in a room full of adults talking about how they can't control themselves, how food is debilitating to them, how they really hate the way that they look and they want to be different and changed. And so it makes you believe as a little kid that you're, you don't have value because you're not the image of what your parents want you to be. And that really trickles into other areas of your life. It really is kind of devastating to a little young young person, a little kid, right, who can't really figure out how to articulate how it's hurtful or even aware that it's hurting them. So I've been heavy since, and I'm working with Joanna for the listeners um, with coaching to help me with some weight loss and some other stuff, a lot of self-parenting and dealing with some of these old traumas and how we can rebuild ourselves as adults and take responsibility for our feelings and our life. Um, Because at some point you do really need to sit down and say, okay, this happened to me. I didn't have control over that, but I do have control over how I'm going to process that now, how I'm going to let that affect my life now. And it's really hard though. You know, it brings up some really traumatizing moments. You, You like to push these things away and push them down deep so that you don't have to think about them. And when you're working on trying to change these things, you do have to think about it. And so for me, that's been probably the most difficult part of my journey is being willing to confront these things in my past that hurt me and that continue to hurt me and maybe letting go of the feelings of hurt because I have the power to do that now. It's, so it's retraining your brain to put yourself back in control rather than allowing those subconscious things that were put into you 
to control your life now. It's it's hard work. I'm not going to say that it's not, but I think it's worthwhile work. And then you did mention how I like interact with the world. So I sort of do this thing where I just like, just words come flowing out of my mouth like crazy. Like I'll go into a place and I'll be like, hi, I'm here. This is me. I'm going to let you know who I am right off the bat so you don't judge me based upon my weight, I would prefer for you to recognize me as who I am as a person. And it can throw some people off guard. I've been told that I'm disarming, you know, in a really good way. And I found that because I don't get the privilege of navigating the world as someone who's like maybe closer to what we would consider normal size, whatever that means, but, you know, standardized sizes for folks. It's been a more interesting journey for me. I think it's given me perspective on how to create connections with people that go past sort of the superficial level. You know, I don't, I don't get too many people doing things just for me because I look beautiful, right? That's not sort of my life experience as, as some, you know, I'm sure supermodels would, would talk about, but you know, healing those old wounds and even people who let's say, you know, we're not talking about like looks. It can be a whole host of things. I know plenty of people who were told that they were not intelligent enough, right? They needed to work harder. Why didn't they understand that? How could, how come they could get a B? And so they deal with feelings of self-confidence issues about their intelligence and their self-worth, you know, that way. This can show up in a whole plethora of ways in our childhood. And so, you know, the idea of taking back that control is a really important first step in healing, I think, yeah. at least for me, you know, I don't know for some other people that might be too hard and, and you may want to work with a therapist so that you're not doing these exercises on your own and you have a support system for it. And that's if you, if you can get into therapy, but if not, you know, there are lots of support groups that you could join. And so I would encourage to people to, to find someone or someone's to help them through this journey because doing it alone, I think makes it too daunting. Having having a team to help you, whether it's your significant other or someone else that you really trust, like a friend um, who can be there when you're trying to deal with some of these hard issues is really helpful. Because some of the things you're going to discover about yourself are really quite enlightening. Like for, for instance, I recently discovered that I maybe, hear me out guys, have been keeping the weight on as a way to spite my parents to maintain control over my life. That's crazy. Like, what does that even mean? That that's like that totally just I, I can't even explain how that, that felt to me, like realizing that. And once I realized that that might be a, a behavior that I'm engaging in to try and assert control, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't need to do that to be in control. Why am I doing it that way? That's a silly way to do it. That doesn't make any sense for me in my life. And so instead of beating myself up over having engaged in that behavior, it's, it's more treating it with curiosity and an open mind as you would hopefully if one of your good friends was telling you about things that they're discovering about themselves, that you would be open and loving and understanding. It's really important to do that for yourself too. We, we are so hard on ourselves. We're harder on ourselves than anyone else could ever be, I found. True. Self-compassion is so important when you're doing that kind of work. I love the mm -hmm. idea of self-parenting because mm -hmm. it's really, I mean, let's say your parents might put you in Weight Watchers when you're eight years old, which I don't, I mean, that is to me kind of a sign of the times. I think, you know, mm -hmm. they thought they were doing the best that they could for you, yeah. but that is a major trauma. Like I remember when you told me, I was just like, Oh, I was I yeah, felt it right away, but I think yeah. it's that eight-year-old 
and whatever the subsequent years that made the decision to protect yourself in certain ways and did the absolute best that she could do with her understanding of the world and to protect your autonomy, you know, to come out as like the rebel kind of in a weird way. Right. You know, and it's like, I will eat all the things and you can't stop me. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or I'll I'll start this and I'm not going to continue because, you know, like it's tough because the praise for me, right. And this is something else that I have to work through. The praise that I get when I lose weight doesn't feel very good to hear, especially from my parents, from other folks, I don't mind. But for my parents, when I hear them praise me, when I lose weight, it just makes me feel icky because it reminds me. So I told you, yeah. Oh, I told you that you would look really nice when you lost 30 pounds. Okay, thanks, because I guess I looked really gross before, even though I didn't feel that way. So there's a dissonance, too, between the way I'm supposed to feel about myself and the way that I do feel about myself. And and that can be interesting and, and hard to reconcile as well. Like, why don't I feel bad about myself? I'm being told that I should, but I don't. So is there something wrong with me? Do I not share the same value sets as everybody else? What's going on there? And it can be really complicated. I think a lot of people have those things, especially if they are doing anything that deviates from like what we're taught as children is the right way to be or the right way to do things based on our parents' objectives, you know, and their, our circumstances. And the minute that you're not falling into, you know, these really strict set of guidelines, things can get tricky for you and you have to learn how to deal with things. But my firm belief is that that sort of adversity is what gives you value. Like having had to go through that and being at a place where maybe you can be working through it. Or even if you're just at a place where you recognize that you've been through some stuff, figure out what part of that experience you can learn from. And then you won't feel so badly about yourself as if that makes any sense. Right. Cause we can, cause we can engage in self pity and not that I'm saying that it's not okay to feel empathy or even some pity towards the person that had to deal with that really hard thing in the past. That was you, but also acknowledgement that if you hadn't had gone through that, you wouldn't be in the place where you are now. And I'm not saying that any, that these things are like up to fate or anything like that. That's, that's not really what I'm, what I'm saying. Just the acknowledgement that the past already happened. We can't change it. So what can we learn from it and how can we continue to grow as individuals without adding more pain to the process? You know, part, part of, part of that is accepting. I can't do anything about what happened to me at X time. Right. But I can be kind enough to myself to say, okay, that happened. And your feelings about what happened are valid and your feelings then were valid. And if you need more time to work through this, that's okay too. Yeah. Just the things that you hope you would hear from your best friend if you were talking to them. You know, I I found this really interesting article, I think, on psychology today about self parenting. And it was great because it broke down all the different types of self parenting styles. And I was like, gosh, I feel like I've encountered all of these things for myself, whether it's saying, oh, those are the things that you did wrong. Why'd you do it that way? Now you have to deal with the mess because you're such an idiot. You know, that's been a voice in my head before, you know, thinking of all the things that I did wrong. Or saying, why am I feeling that way? It's really silly that I feel that way. I shouldn't feel that way. And so invalidating my feelings. And then part of it is empathizing with the person who hurt you, which isn't a bad thing, but it shouldn't be to the point where you invalidate your own feelings because you feel such empathy for someone else. And those are all sort of like interesting parenting techniques that we learn from our parents. And I will say, you know, I'm really lucky. My, my parents loved me quite a bit. <laughs> You know, like I can't say that they don't love me. And so maybe for me, it's, it's a lot easier 
to deal with some of these issues because I don't have to grapple with the fact of maybe feeling unwanted or completely unloved, you know, so I know other folks maybe have to deal with some of those issues and it it may be harder for them. And I, I would hope that they are able, like I said, to work with, you know, a therapist or something like that. Cause those are really tricky issues and everyone deserves to know that they are loved and they are deserving of it. Yeah. I think, that's I think it's what tricky. The human- it's tricky too. When your parents love you, because then it, it's complicated. Then it's mm-hmm. like, you don't, you have empathy for them. You know, they love you, you know, they did their best. So then you feel guilty for expressing exactly. your, your anger. And then that's a whole like mess, you know? Yes. Yeah. There's the, the shame of feeling, oh gosh, I'm so ungrateful. Right. <laughs> look at all the sac- yeah. Look at all the sacrifices my parents made for me. And I'm so ungrateful because they were just doing their best, but those things can be true, right? We, we can acknowledge that our parents loved us and that they were doing their best, but that their best still hurt us, right? Their best wasn't what you needed from a parent. So it's okay to recognize that and be, be okay with that. And also understand that even people make mistakes out of love, right? We all do. We, I'm a, I'm a mom. We're talking about the mother wound in November mm-hmm. on Patreon. And I can tell you, I understand it from both perspectives. I have certainly hurt my son and nothing will fuck with you. Like hurting your own child, like knowing, like yeah. you gain this awareness and like, mm-hmm. I cling to that Maya Angelou quote, when you knew better, you did better, but still there's a part of me that's like, Oh my God. But I wish I could go back and undo that thing that I said yeah. I did. Well, I'm, I'm grateful for my parents, at least allowing me or not allowing me, but, but teaching me that I I'm allowed to have a sense of identity and self and that there's no shame in trying to better yourself. So those, those things are, are really wonderful. And, and I do think that some other folks who, who haven't been taught that, right, that have been taught that if you're trying to better yourself and you're ungrateful for what you have, that's a tough one. You have to do, undo a lot of programming there. And, but if you can think of it as programming, right, like as a computer code and binary, if, if you want to get real like down to the logics of it, then you can rewrite that it's within your power to redo it and mm-hmm. it's hard. And, and you, you said it perfectly. It's just about practice. It's how, how do you make these changes in your life? It's that when you notice something happening, you notice the, the negative self-talk when you notice it, change it because you have that moment. And whether it's, you have something written down in your planner or on your cell phone, that's, that gives you a cue, right? Like I'm going to repeat this phrase. Like I'm, I'm worthy of my own self-love, right? Like any, anything like that, that helps you get through that moment. The next time it happens, it's going to be so much easier to do. You know, the, the first time you try that, you're like, this feels weird. I don't know what I'm doing. But when you do it the second time or the third time, and then when you're t- to the 20th time, you're almost like, okay, these things are happening less and less because I'm more in control and I'm actually changing things. So I would encourage people to be compassionate with themselves when they mess up, right? Because you're not always going to get it right. You're going to forget sometimes. And also be kind enough to themselves to keep on trying. Yeah. You know what I was thinking too when you were talking? Because you just have so much to say and you're such, a, you're such a force. <laughs> I think you're a great example of somebody who's like, okay, I want to work on this aspect of my life. 
but who mm-hmm. has a lot of self-love and success. You're in a really loving relationship, mm-hmm. you have a partner, you have a badass job, you help a lot of people, you have tons of friends, people seem to like you wherever you go, you have <laughs> awesome personal style. Oh, thanks, Joanna. <laughs> you know, but you do, all these things are true. You have great personal style, you take a lot of pride in your personal style. So I just want to put that out there that Lisa is not saying like, I'm overweight and this is a problem and a reflection of I don't love myself because you do love yourself in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And doing this work is an extension of that. It is. Yeah. And, you know, I, I will say to folks, like, I'm not interested in losing weight so that I can fit in to society. It's, it's not about that. It's so that, like, I can do all the things that I want to do. And it's, it's a matter of like meeting the world where it's at. So I, I would love it, right? If things was like accessible to everybody of, uh, of bigger sizes, but that's not the reality of the world. Maybe one day it will be because, you know, folks who are bigger also deserve to have fun experiences too. But, you know, I'm willing to meet the world where it's at. And I think that's the pragmatist in me. Um, and it's not a reflection of that being good or bad. It's just, okay, there are things that I can't do because of my weight that I really want to do. So I shouldn't let that hold me back from doing those things. I, and in the meantime, though, it's also really important, you know, when you're working on these things to still do things that you want to do. Don't wait for that moment when you've hit like your goal weight or like you've, I don't know, done 10,000 burpees a day or whatever it is that your goal is, right? You know, like don't wait until you've reached the goal to um, experience life. In the meantime, continue to experience life Mm -hmm. because then you're just going to feel dreadful about the whole process and you're going to be back at square one. Also, I mean, flashing back to what you said about like, I wasn't a Calvin Klein model. It's really interesting now to see though, that there are models that, you know, we used to have this plus size model category. And these are girls that only modeled for like Lane Bryant. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't cool. It wasn't fashionable. It wasn't hip. It was just this like begrudging, like we'll put you over here. And now Mm -hmm. we're seeing these women more than plus size because what's considered plus size is really for a lot of people that's just their natural body it's not that big you know it's very odd what the fashion industry considered plus size so we're seeing girls of all shapes and sizes not equally being included but starting to be included and I think that's part of the healing process is to say all of these people are beautiful at every every stage in their journey and where they are and how Mm -hmm. they are Yeah, I remember us talking about this on our previous call, and I told you that the first time I saw an advertisement where there was a woman and she had stretch marks, I cried. Like I was sobbing. I, it was extremely powerful for me to see a woman look like a woman. And I've heard similarly from, from men, you know, as they're, they're trying to do that with men too, a little bit, having differently abled and different bodies in there and how it's important to see men who aren't just six, four and like built like a swimmer, you know, cause that's a very specific body type. The, the, the chances that most people fit into that body type are, are very slim. And so seeing yourself reflective, reflected in media or, you know, just buying clothes and stuff like that is really important. That can go all sorts of ways, right? Like whether it be that we see folks who maybe struggled with school being really successful, 
right? Whether we see folks in wheelchairs on the runway, you know, this, this it sort of goes across a whole spectrum because it's a more realistic showing of what our world actually consists of and the people who are in it. And I firmly believe, and this is the feminist in me, right? That the more we expose everyone to the reality of who people are and not just what we wish we were, um, the more we'll be able to get along with each other and the more compassion we'll have for each other and we'll have these building blocks that we didn't before. So it feels like maybe media and fashion is finally starting to catch up with what, you know, folks have been saying for a long time, which is that you don't represent us fairly or equally. And we just want some representation because when people can see themselves right as a marketing tool, generally, like they're more likely to buy your product, but, but more than that, if they see themselves, you know, in these folks, they can finally start to have dreams that they believe are achievable. You know, if you don't see yourself as the head of a fortune 500 company, because no one like you has ever been there, the chances that you're going to want to do that go really, they slim down quite a bit, you know, it becomes much more difficult. So I really have a lot of, I'm really grateful for a lot of the trailblazers in that area, because what they're doing is really brave. It's brave to put yourself out there. Yeah. I didn't think too deeply about it until it started to change. I didn't realize, oh my Mm -hmm. God, our, our sexism, our ageism, our racism, uh, Mm -hmm. like all these things are literally baked into all of our magazines and movies and TV shows. Mm -hmm. I'm like so stoked that there's a major studio production of a romantic comedy with an Asian man as the male lead. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, this should not be as exciting as it is. I mean, it's just these cultural shifts are now happening at a very rapid pace. So it's just one giant shift, but I'm very interested in it in the ways that it's affecting me as a blonde skinny white woman with blue Mm -hmm. eyes, the reaction Mm -hmm. I'm having is really unexpected to me because I was always represented. And as the beauty standard expands, it expands my own vision of what is beautiful. And it's a relief. Mm -hmm. It's like less pressure on everybody to hold this weird button-nosed Amazon, but not too big standard. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, it's this impossible standard to me. And so the, the consequences that that have that has on young, young people in particular, young men and women who, you know, maybe have eating disorders and, and all this other stuff. If we, if there's anything that we can do as a society to, to lessen that so that people don't have to be traumatized by that, I think it's our imperative to do so. If we're talking about it from a business standpoint, it's good business, right? Oh, sure. <laughs> so it's really good business, but from, from a humanity standpoint, it's important that we live in a global culture now and we really should be sort of embracing that in a way where you are learning more about people in the world with you. There are some folks who never leave their small towns, right? And so they're not able to interact with the rest of the world, but they should know that the rest of the world is there and what it looks like and their thoughts. And for me, what's really exciting about sort of this rise in diversity and equity is that I get to hear stories from people I would never had heard from before. You know, I get to hear life experiences about people who never would have been given a voice before. And for me, in a really selfish way, it, it, it enriches my life. It's really selfish of me to say that because it's the, the benefit I'm getting, but it enriches my life to learn more 
about those folks. I think what we can also find is that at the core, we have so many shared experiences that this is a, it's a positive thing in that way. Um, and I would hope that some people have a hard time with change, but the thing is it's happening whether or not you're on board with it. So, you know, if you can get some, some positive feelings from it, that would be a good way to approach it. The example that you fit the standard definition of what is beautiful in American society, right? You still fit that definition, even though things are changing because you yourself are beautiful. But what's really nice is that other people who also were beautiful before are also getting recognized for that. And yes. I don't mean, yeah, and I don't mean just like beautyism and looks. I mean like their beauty and spirit, right? Yes. Because we never were able to get to know them before. And I feel like what a shame for me that it took so long for the world to catch up. So I'm only getting to hear these voices now because I could have learned so much, so much sooner. So <laughs> I think if we, if you, I'm like a sponge though, I really want to know everything about everything that's going on. So for me, job, it's really exciting. How does your job tie into all of this? Aren't you're just interacting with the public a lot, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, for me, what I think is really interesting because of the work that I do. I do mostly work with folks who are lower income, but I'm always seeing people in crisis. <laughs> and so as part of that, you know, you you learn to um, gauge people really quickly and try and hear their stories without traumatizing them. And for me, I've been really lucky. I have met people from all different walks of life from really literally all over the world because New York is sort of, uh, I'm from New York guys is a Mecca for people from everywhere. Everyone wants to come to New York. So I've met people who emigrated here from other parts of the world. I've met people who grew up in the area and where I work. Um, I've met people who are higher up on the income spectrum and people who bring in so little money that you look at it and you're like, Oh my goodness, how are you, how are you making it from day to day? Like, I want to hear about you. I want to know what your life is like. And so I've been really privileged to get to know people on a really personal level. And for me, it has changed my perspective on the world because what people put forth as their face for the world, there's usually a whole lot more going on underneath the surface. And so someone can walk in to a room and no one would know that there's all this turmoil going on in their life. And so to be able to work with people's so that they can thrive instead of just sort of tread water it is really something amazing for me. So seeing the diversity that I see every day in my life reflected out in the general, the world in general is, is encouraging for me because I already know what the diversity is out there. And I think if, if you're not in a position where you're meeting lots of different people or interacting with lots of different folks from all walks of life, you're not necessarily going to know that. But, you know, I, I, it's well suited for my personality. I'm, I'm sort of able to not change who I am, but modulate who I am or, you know, what characteristics about myself are going to be more helpful for this situation. Um, and so, you know, having not grown up particularly wealthy, I was, I was raised squarely like lower middle class. Sometimes I would consider us to have been poor, you know, like I was on Medicaid, which if folks know is like the state sponsored insurance for folks who don't have much money (laughs) for a bit when I was a kid. And, you know, my parents swallowed their pride and signed us up for those programs because they knew they needed it for us to survive. That's my personal life experience is that I can relate to folks who are, are lower income in some way. But then I also have to engage with other attorneys who some of them are very privileged and come from families of attorneys. Um, And so being able to have 
the perspective to understand where both of these types of people are coming from is really helpful. And for anyone that's doing work with others or is engaging in a business, definitely, you know, I think one of the biggest perks is being able to meet people from all different types of life and upbringing. It's really, it's amazing. Cause what I do find at the end of the day is that we all have things in common there is always commonalities between us. And so no matter how far apart you may think you are from someone, whether it be ideologically or upbringing, there's, there's going to be something that you can relate with them on. And so, so for me, you know, the world writ large seeing the diversity means that it, it creates the ability to relate easier because it's not, you're not, not used to seeing that. Right. Yeah. You know what it is too. It's such, you're a great example of that whole thing about, the cracks are where the light gets in. And that's Mm -hmm. when your wound becomes your superpower because you've learned to establish immediate rapport with people to navigate Mm -hmm. around your wound. And then that is such a superpower that you use to this day to connect and serve other people. So I think it's really beautiful. Can you give us one tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? You've already given a (laughs) lot here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so I've been thinking about this, gosh, since you asked me to go on the podcast and I think I'll, I'll, I'll go back to it. And this is something I firmly really believe is that you really do need to be kind and compassionate to yourself. It's, it's something that maybe you have not an unlimited well of, right? Sometimes you get compassion fatigue. So prioritize being compassionate with yourself first, because whether you're a parent or whether you're another type of caretaker or whatever you're doing in your life, you can't be your best self for others if, if you're not willing to be kind and honest and, and, you know, loving with your own self, because you're just not going to have that energy to give out there. And, Whatever it is, whatever that one act is, whether whether it's, you know, I'm going to go for a run tonight or I'm going to make sure that I have 30 minutes to read a book um, and that's my act of self-love today. Do something for yourself, but also be kind to yourself in those moments where you feel like you're falling short because um, that's really where I think the healing is and that's where you can see the most growth and also be the best person that you can be for others who maybe rely on you in your life. Um, and I think you'll see that when you start acting that way, people, you'll be pleasantly surprised how people respond. It it won't be terrible. It'll be wonderful. Thank you. It won't be terrible, everybody. And be nice to you. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It's scary, but you can do it. Treat yourself like your best friend. Oh, thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you, Joanne. I really appreciate it. So there, there, one more piece of evidence that the patrons of the Hippie Witch podcasts are awesome so awesome i i still don't know how i got so lucky to fall in with you all truly not just the patrons but the listeners of the hippie witch podcast you all are damn smart so interesting so invested in your own you know healing journeys and creating the kick-ass life of your dreams and sometimes you reach out and tell me about it and it is my honor completely i also want to say if you have reached out to me lately i really have been making big sacrifices and cuts to my usual routine so i'm way behind on catching up with my email inbox and it keeps kind of piling up on me so I apologize if you've been hanging there for a minute I do try to get back to everybody eventually but 
Sometimes it takes me a while to do that because I am a one-woman operation. And if you've ever reached out to me on Instagram DM, I will never see it. My my DMs just show up as a blank page there, so I don't even bother checking it. The few times that I've gone over to see what's going on, it's just stuck on a blank page. Don't know why. Doesn't hurt my feelings because I don't want you know, to spend my life on social media. So I cannot check those. And I do not typically check Facebook direct messages, mainly because I do not enjoy Facebook. You'll probably have better luck on Twitter for sure. You would have better luck on Twitter because I'm obsessed with Twitter. I love it there. (laughs) Or email. I'm at joannadevoe at gmail.com. And I hope you have an amazing Halloween, a super blessed Samhain and winter transition. Until we meet again, much love to you. Peace.